Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. So here we are, and if you're downloading this, it's a, a weekend of great college basketball. NFL football is over. Now it's time for kind of the rest of the world to dig in on the sport. And kind of what an interesting year we have, right? I mean, you go coast to coast. UCLA uh, was far below their normal standard but very very young and lots of questions about mixed future and ucla seems to have righted the ship on some level as their young players are coming of age still ucla down indiana michigan ohio state already makes a coaching change louisville i mean look look we're in a world in which there's at least a possibility that ohio state which is already open louisville likely to come open michigan and indiana maybe minnesota could all come open in one year and what's this is it the expectations sure is it nil i think so um and then of course it's kind of cyclical right some leagues go through this in one year you'll see massive upheaval and changes and then you consider that next year it's going to be even more competitive more interesting in the big 10 with ucla washington oregon usc coming in speaking of usc yikes yikes right there's basically it feels like two different stories of teams that are struggling. There's a couple of programs, I'd say SC, Arkansas, Villanova, and again, in their league, UC Santa Barbara, that feel like their teams put together with the proper or maybe even a ton of support with NIL, and yet chemistry issues um, have really derailed those programs. And all are coached by coaches that are well-regarded, right? Like Joe Pasadick's done a good job at UC Santa Barbara. Now they have more talent, at least on paper, than everybody else, but can they get to fit together? Eric Musselman's been to two straight Elite Eights at Arkansas, right? So it's not like Eric Musselman doesn't know what he's doing, but man, that they went from beating Duke and feeling like another great year at Arkansas to an absolute mess. Uh, Villanova still kind of hasn't figured out the ability to get consistent, uh, so it's a really interesting year. But one team that has done well is Indiana State. That's where we'll begin today. Josh Schertz is a new head coach. Or I don't know, new. It's a couple years. Head coach at Indiana State. And um, at least for the time being, they're still ranked. Of course, coming off of a midweek loss uh, after a nine-game winning streak, 
I think it's a perfect time to sit down with the coach and catch up with him as they head to Southern Illinois to try and kind of get right in the Valley. But um, a program that comes from, I don't want to say shambles, but been down for so long in uh, uh, such a historically challenging conference. And obviously the conference has changed over the past couple of years, but still Indiana state not seen as, you know, one of the breadwinners in, in the Valley and, in very short order, Jason Schertz is taking it from also ran coaching change to uh, atop the league. And then, of course, you factor in uh, his what he was able to construct at Lincoln Memorial, great Division II program. I, I had to sit down with him and figure out his journey. The, the, the most interesting part is how our paths collided 25 years ago when one of the great upsets maybe in the recent history of college basketball took place so we'll start there he's the head coach at indiana state josh shirts do you remember what happened on this floor before atlantic i do i was actually on that floor in florida atlantic coaching when we played you guys and stopped what was like a was it a 10 year or something non-conference home winning streak or something crazy and, it was uh, a 81 game. Yep. Not non-conference home winning streak. That's what I remember. I remember that. I remember that was look, we won 6 games that year. It wasn't hard to remember the wins, but that one <laughs> for some reason uh, stood out a little bit more. I was a that was my first year coaching. We went to yeah. Oklahoma State and you guys were just so good. And it was just one of those things uh in competition. It was uh uh, like one night and, and uh, yeah, 81 games. I remember just sitting there. No, 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 no. Do you, do you remember? Okay, so what, what, what is your recollection of the game? I remember uh, the, the loose ball, Gary Durant picked it up to finish it. I remember that play at the very end to, to win the game, right, on like a scramble. One, uh, you had a, if I remember correctly, you, you had a gazillion assists uh, that night. Um, 18, 18, actually. Is it 18? That would have felt like I was going to get 15 <laughs> or 16, but I knew it was a lot. I knew it was a lot. Uh, but would you in- indulge me? And can I tell you the story of that game sure. from the other side? Yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. So the late Brooks Thompson, mm-hmm. who was a great player at Oklahoma State and became a very good coach. Mm-hmm. He had he hurt his back playing for the Orlando Magic. Mm-hmm. Maybe the maybe the Knicks. I can't remember uh, who he hurt his back playing for, but he hurt his back. So that year he was like a student manager. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you knew Brooks, he was like one of the most ferocious shit talkers of all time, mm-hmm. all time. So that was his first scatter report ever. Oh God! And I believe the last scatter <laughs> report ever. <laughs> so the way the way, um, and, and and I'll be interested to know. We'll, we'll get into your own personal kind of coaching style, but one mm-hmm. of the things Coach Sutton used to do was. In those by games, you'd mm-hmm. walk in the locker room, you know, for the last time, and there would be a list of goals um, on the board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'd be like, hey, we shoot 80 from the line, you know, over 50 from the field, mm-hmm. you know, hold them under 30, under, you know, we score over 80. I still do it when I coach now, just mm-hmm. the idea of, hey, let's don't don't worry about the scoreboard as much as. These are the goals, you know, right. and and one of his things would be, especially against a team that was seen as an inferior opponent, was if you do these things, 
tomorrow you have off. If you don't, we're going at 7 a.m., right? <laughs> right. The carrot, yeah. So, so Brooks comes in and he's like, you don't need to watch tape. This is the shittiest fucking team to ever take the floor. The white gets uh, Gallagher, Iba, the court, the floor, the surface right. is the same surface they've always had. It's white maple. Right. So this is the worst team to step foot on the white maple in the history of Gallagher, Iba arena. Might not have been all. If you don't come out, if you night, if you don't come out and play your balls off, just fuck it. You don't play your balls off. We're practicing at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Like he doesn't have the authority to have a 6 a.m. practice, you know, whatever. Right, right, right. But so um, we had at the time only three, uh, four scholarship guards or guards wings available. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that year there was kind of imbalanced roster and we had Glenn and Alexander, who was a McDonald's all American transfer from Arkansas. And he was eligible like three games later. Right. And so that was, so it was Joe Atkins, myself, Adrian Peterson, our best player, Destin Mason, who went on to play the NBA. Yep. And then we just had a bunch of big dudes, even some guys that were kind of like hybrid big guys. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rex was the head coach, correct? Uh, uh, for you, it was, it was, uh, it was Kevin Billerman. Okay, so Kevin had a great game plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, I remember it. You guys would run flex, and this is back in the, I think it was 45-second shot clock era, maybe 35-second shot clock era. Yeah. You guys would run flex for like 30 seconds, mm-hmm. and then whoever our big guy was guarding would catch it and go 1-4 flat at the end of the shot clock. Yeah, because we had, we had so no if big you, guys. If, Right, but you had like six four, six five guys. Yes, Who were the guys six four, six five? Gary Durant, Damon Arnett, those kind of guys. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so they combined for like all but I think six or eight of your points. Mm-hmm. I really, I, I, I think that's actually. So we're up. I want to say again, this is just off the top of my head, like forty four to forty two at half, mm-hmm. and we come in and like. Again, this is where Coach Sutton was pretty cool. It was like he let us kind of speak our mind a little bit. We're like, Coach, we got to go zone. And he's like, College man can guard his man. Guard your man. <laughs> like, Coach, they're isolating our big. We got to, they got to guard in our big. And the other part about our bigs were they couldn't fucking score if you locked them in the gym. Right. They just right. couldn't. Fred yeah. Johnson was a freshman. He couldn't. So the, the fact that we had a mismatch in offense didn't matter because they couldn't score at all. Like, it, right. it, you know, <laughs> you so, couldn't punish it on one end, but you were getting punished on the other end. So uh, we come out in the second half and it's a little bit better. And then we're up and I catch the ball like sideline OB. And you guys like surprise trap me like the guy guarding the inbounder and the guy who's guarding me trapped me. Mm. And I try and rip and step through. And I get the ball stolen. They go down, go down, lay the ball in. It was mm-hmm. one of the eight points scored by a guard. <laughs> and I had a little cut under my eye and like an asshole, like I got fouled. Yeah. But instead of just going like pointing to it, I just go, hey, that's a fucking foul right there. You know, like yeah. I got his cut to my eye. So again, we're up three, technical foul, make both free throws, down one. Coach takes me out of the game. Mm-hmm. Now we have two big guys in who can't fucking guard anybody and can't score. And you guys throw in a three, then get a steal. Now it's like eight. Coach yeah. puts you back in the coach puts you back in the game. Right. <laughs> so 
Then we come down the end of the game. I think it's a tie game. It was a tie game. And you, yeah. guys, and you guys had the ball with a minute, I'm going to say like a minute five to go. Mm. And late in the shot clock, it may have been like a minute 15. So late in the shot clock, you throw it into the post and Alex Weber, our one center, mm. kicks it. Resets the shot clock. So now we got to play defense again. Yeah. So when we play defense, we get a Joe Atkins, who became an All-American two-guard the next year, gets a rebound. I'm out ahead. Adrian Peterson, our best player, leaks out. He's out ahead. Mm. But there's some traffic. And I don't think Gary Durant – I think he made the lay-in. I he don't lay-in. think he got – he made the lay-in. So yeah. what happened was, though, that your guys are sprinting back on defense. Somebody else tripped and fell down. Mm. Okay. And Atkins, instead of advancing the ball, he thought I was not open. So he dribbles it. And one of your guys who had tripped, he dribbles off their foot. Gary Durant had missed a drive. He was on the ground. He yeah. gets up to run back on defense. And there's the ball. Yeah. And he just doing? Picks, it, picks it up, lays it in. Yes. Right. Yep. And then the last yeah, part is, and this. And this is, well, it was, it was almost a game where it was like yeah. two still. We throw it yeah. in a midcourt, call a timeout. Yeah, I remember that. And this, right, we, and then we don't, we got a kind of a shot or whatever. But it's very interesting to me. Again, I'm, my coach is, was a great coach, and Sean Sutton, who was basically our offensive coordinator, did an awesome job. But it's interesting how things change. We didn't have like a under five inbounds play. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We didn't have like go-tos, automatics based upon time. You know, all the things that coaches yeah. do now and they love. All right, under five, here's what we do. Under three, here's what we do. Under seven, length of the court, here's what we do. Like right. all of these things. And I go up and I'm just amazed. And when I coach, I love it. And kids like it too because they like the five, four, three, two, one thing. Yeah. Didn't have one. Wow. We lose. And who did the cartwheel or the flip? Uh, I think that was uh, – was that – I want to say it, it might have been James Turner or Kevin Durant. It might, have, it might have been Gary Durant or James Turner. It might have been James Turner. Right. So then, of course, on SportsCenter, you know, they have like – it's basically like Zabruder footage because it wasn't a televised game. It's some <laughs> local like court level. Gary Durant lays the ball in. Here's a backflip. Oklahoma State ranked eighth in the country. Lose at home. First home loss. Non-conference home loss in 81 games. Yeah. Right? So we come in the next day. And instead of, you know, Brooks, like, hat in hand, my bad, you know, kind of one of us, they're showing the, these motherfuckers did a backflip on your court. <laughs> and, and I want to thank Dusty May. Mm-hmm. I want to thank all those players <laughs> because turns out we lost to a Final Four program. You lost to, a, you lost to an elite program. You lost, no one's going to remember that we were six and twenty that year, finished last place in the uh, in the in the what was it the the back at that time or whatever it was the tack and uh, and and Billerman got fired at the end of the year. No one will remember all that stuff. Why'd you get in? Why'd you get into coaching? Uh, I loved uh, loved competing. Um, I loved being a part of a team. Uh, I I uh, felt like. It kind of blended those those things together. I loved I loved when I played being part of a locker room, going in with a group of guys, being unified, trying to accomplish something. Um, loved just the whole dynamics of being a part of a team. Um, 
And then as I got into it, I, I really loved and and I didn't probably when I started didn't know, but you know, as you go into it, uh, the relational side becomes the holy grail, right? The relationships you develop with the players and 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 while you're with them, and then of course when they leave, you know, it turns from like it's like uh like you do with your parents, you know, you go from you know father son to friends over time, right? And it's kind of the same thing. You go from player coach to friends and they really become, you know, people that you value in your life and relationships because you uh, get to know somebody when you coach them or, or on a team with them, play with them, whatever, on a deeper level, you know, because you see them at their best and at their worst and in success and adversity and failure and triumph. And, um, you know, you, 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 you know, blood, sweat and tears with somebody in a different type of relationship. And then, um, you know, and then the ability to help guys, you know, grow and get better. So you leave Florida Atlantic, and w what was it like to try and go find a job? It was uh, it was hard. I mean, I had you know, so I I got into it. I, I gave up. You know, I wasn't a very good player. I gave up my senior year uh, of playing to go work at Florida Atlantic as a graduate assistant. But I didn't graduate, so I was really a student assistant. And they helped out with tuition, um, but I was you know I was working a lot for free. And, and at the end of the year. Uh, Coach Billerman got fired and uh, I was in there when he got fired. I didn't know anything. I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. Um, didn't even know how that worked. And um, next thing you know, uh, they they moved the whole staff except for me and uh, one of the assistants. And so I go from I take a recruiting test and I'm recruiting and working at Florida Atlantic as a, you know, an assistant. But just me and me and one of the other assistants or the whole program, uh, they, hi they hired Sidney Green, who was who replaced Kevin Billerman. Um, and when they hired uh, Sydney, um, he brought me in and, uh, you know, and, and uh, Sydney brought me in and, and let me go from basically a volunteer job. He was like that the, uh, uh, the players really liked me, spoke highly of me, but that our players were the opposite of winners. And so that must say a lot about me, basically, was the gist of the conversation was the players liked me and they were, you know, losers, then that doesn't say much about me. And so I was out of a job and. Coach Billerman, um, to his credit, he didn't do anything for me. I mean, he barely, you know, we, we worked together for one year. He called a bunch of different people. He got me some options at Florida Southern, at Lynn University. I decided because I had a kid, I was, I, I had a son, a uh, young son, um, I was going to stay in Boca. And that's what I did. I, I went to Lynn University, which was literally a mile away. I finished my degree that next year at, uh, at FAU while I worked at Lynn. And uh, and that so I stayed in Boca for for those next two years. But uh, but Coach Billerman, you know, without him, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. Who's head coach at Lynn? Uh, Andy Russo, who was uh, Carl Malone's coach, Louisiana Tech, coached at uh, Washington, was uh, had like Christian Belp and all those guys. Um, but he had been a, a Power Five, uh, you know, head coach, had a lot of success, and <clears throat> he uh, he hired me there at, at Lynn. Uh, my first year is just as just an assistant, and 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 uh, and then my second year after I graduated, I went as a, a graduate assistant. But in D two, it's so different. You know, on my first year, you know, I was working as just getting paid five thousand dollars, but I was able to recruit, do player development. You know, I mean, scouting reports. I was doing everything because everything it was yeah. so small. And so uh, my my two years there, I I was working out the bigs, working out the guards, doing scouting reports on the road, recruiting like. I was getting incredible hands-on experience, no money, but uh, but but a tremendous experience uh, because it was really, uh, you know, my first year was me, him, and one of the guys. My second year was me, him, and a, a GA. 
So I, I got great experience those two years working with Andy. And he was he was just like Kevin Billerman, you know, experienced, older guy, knew his stuff and was really, really good to me. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Um, give me one thing from Billerman that you still say or do today. I think, uh, the, the, probably the biggest thing for, for coach Billerman that I, I take today is, is how much he, uh, genuinely cared for the players and how much time he spent building relationships with them. Like he, he was really invested in our guys. He was really invested. And the other thing, that I thought he did a good job of was, you know, he he tried to put guys in their strength zones to play to their, you know, put them in positions to do what they do best. And those are probably two things that I take that, 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 you know, I learned from him very early on. Um, all right. What about Russo? Russo, I think was, was the big picture approach, understanding that, um, you know, the, the whole programmatical piece and how, um, everything ties together. You know, you have recruiting and recruiting has to fit uh, how you're going to play and you got to have a vision for how you're going to build your team. Uh, it shouldn't just be, you know, willy-nilly where you go out and grab a guy, grab a guy, grab a guy. You know, the piece of the puzzle have to fit together and complement each other. And he had a good, you know, gauge of trying to look at it from a 10,000-foot view of, of, of how to build a team, how to build a program and how everything tied together. So you leave Lynn. What, uh, what, what was what was the what was the plan? Well, I got offered uh, what seemed at the time a lot of money. Uh, I got offered like twelve thousand dollars to move to Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, Bart Lundy was the head coach at, uh, at at Queens University of Charlotte. And so we were Division Two, and I got like twelve thousand five hundred and a dorm room. So I thought I was about to be rich. Um, it was more money than I made the previous three years combined. So it was it was pretty good cash. Um, I went there, uh, worked for Bart. Um, my first year, we were pretty good. Um, and then my second year, um, 
we were really good. We were number one in the country most of the year and went to the final four. Um, and, uh, and so the second year, you know, we, we had a really good year. And then uh, uh, Bart got offered the job at High Point after my, after my second year there. Was, I think it was his fifth year. And so, uh, um, you know, I didn't really, you know, it, at Lynn, I was going to stay. You know, Bart, I think, you know, they recruited Florida hard. And uh, he, he had some people down there he knew. Um, Nate Dixon, who was his assistant, really recruited Florida, had gone to Stetson Division One. <clears throat> Bart was trying to find somebody that could recruit Florida. I'd been down there for a couple of years. And so for me, it was a, it was a no-brainer and a, and a great experience. I went with him uh, for, for two years there. And then um, I was his associate head coach at High Point for five years. So I was, I was with Bart the next seven years. Now was High Point D one when you guys when you were the guys were there? Yeah, yeah. So he left Queens to go to High Point, which was Division One. They had just finished the transition under Jerry Steele, the four year transition. And Coach sure. Steele was obviously a legendary coach. He coached him through the transition, then stepped away. Um, Bart was hired from from Queens to High Point as their first. You know that was the first year they were eligible for the NCAA tournament, uh, win the Big South. High Point's an amazing campus. It's like it's 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 crazy now that's now was it like that then so when i got there it wasn't like that at all um at all and then um we uh, uh i was there my first couple years there was really nothing going on it was almost like it was gonna it was gonna close and then um the president stepped down uh he retired and they hired um a guy who was a chair of the board at high point a guy named uh, nito cobain and uh, and Dr. Cobain <clears throat> stepped in uh, to fill a void. And the, the deal was he was going to do it for one year and then, you know, turn it over to somebody else. And uh, that's had to be, I don't know, 19 years later, he's still doing it. And he single handedly transformed that university from a mom and pop, like barely keep, you know, the doors open to like what you see today. And I haven't been back in a couple of years, but even when I was there in my last couple of years, the campus was transforming. Uh, they were they were they were building. There was cranes everywhere, dirt being moved everywhere. They were knocking stuff down, rebuilding everything. And he took something that I mean, the, if you were to go back to to nineteen years ago to now, talk about what Dusty's done at FAU. Uh, Doctor Cobain would get the same level of credit for me for what he's done for High Point University as a in totality. It, it's amazing what he's been able to do. Bart had great success at Queens. Had success at High Point. Obviously, he's had success at Milwaukee as well. Yeah. Uh, what What's allowed him to have that success? I think um, you know. There's a couple things. One, um, you know, Bart is is a guy that uh, he understands. You know, uh, a lot like Coach Billerman did. He puts guys in positions to be successful. Like he can, you know, they they run great stuff. Get their best players the ball in their strength zones. Um, he is, he is really demanding. He, he asks a lot of his guys, he pushes them, uh, cares about them. I think he invests in them. Um, he's a terrific recruiter. They get good talent. He understands what fits, um, his system, uh, you know, and, and he gets his guys to compete, you know, he gets his guys to compete at a high level. You know, we, you know, it was weird because I worked for him for seven years. And then, uh, when I was at Lincoln Memorial, the last 13, he took over back at Queens well, Queens came to our league and, uh, you know, so we were, you know, we were playing four times a year. I mean, we were, there was many years, you know, we were, uh, I think eight years in a row 
we finished one, two in the league. And so we played a lot of high stakes games, regional championships, tournament championships, conference championships. Um, and so, but his ability to put guys in their straight zone, his ability to recruit, uh, and, and he, he recruits hard, uh, gets really good players. And then he, he allowed, like I said, puts them in positions to do what they do best. And, and I think he's, he's done a great job. He does a great job building relationships. You could tell his guys care about him. Um, and, and that, you know, he's invested in them. And so, um, he's been very successful every stop of the way. And it'll be the same at, at, at Milwaukee. You know, he's already shown, I think 22 wins last year. And, um, you know, they've been beat up a little bit this year, but, but he, he'll do and continue to do a great job. Okay. So take me through the Lincoln Memorial job. How'd you, how'd you get it? Uh, nobody else wanted it. So it was, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's what, for, first, first, okay. So wait, so, but, but again, you're at high point. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've been with the same so, guy. You have some success. Like, mm -hmm. were, were you looking everywhere? I, how, so, how did you even know it was open, yeah. let alone know that no one wanted it? Yeah. Uh, so I had, I had been at High Point at this point for five years. I was the associate sure. coach. Um, we were pretty good. I think I, we were like maybe 87 and 66 or 88 and 66, something like that, 88, 65. In my five years there, we'd had pretty good teams. Um, you know, we just hadn't got over the hump. It was uh, – you know, we had Greg Marshall and Winthrop there who were kind of dominating the league. Um, sure. We got to a couple championship games, never got to the NCAA tournament. Um, but about my third year there, I was really antsy to get a head coaching job. Felt like, uh, you know, I, I was obviously worked for some really good coaches. I had some ideas of what I wanted to do and, and I wanted to apply them. Uh, but I couldn't get a job. You know, it's as you know, I mean, the, the first one's always the hardest, right? Everybody says, well, sure. You know, we, you have no head coaching experience. Well, neither did anybody before they became a head coach. So, you know, there's a lot of great Hall of Fame coaches, Eddie Sutton, all these guys that, you know, they weren't head coaches until they became head coaches, right? So, so you know, you got to get a chance. And I interviewed for some jobs, uh, Division Two, couldn't get them. Um, and so after uh, my fifth year, they changed, um, you know, they, they let go of the athletic director. They brought in a new athletic director. Um they had, I think, talked to Bart about a uh, contract extension that kind of got squashed uh, with the new athletic director coming in. So um, not that it was, you know, at the time, you're not thinking anything negative. I think we had won 41 games the previous two years or 40 games the previous two years. Um, but it was a little bit uneasy. And I was looking. I did really want to become a head coach and try to see if I could do it myself. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to take control of my career, you know, if I could. And um so Lincoln Memorial was a job that was in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, uh, 4,000 people in the town, uh, dry County, um, you know, and uh, uh, I think the undergraduate, you know, population time was about a thousand, maybe a little less. Um, they were had finished, uh, you know, last most every year. They never won 20 games at the NCAA level, never been to the NCAA tournament, um, you know, never. And they had a really nice arena and that was about it. And, um, but I, you know, I, I, was, I wanted to, to try it, you know, and, and, and the, the, I guess the thing I thought was, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere, but you're, you had close proximity to a lot of different things. You were four hours from Atlanta, four hours from Charlotte, three from Cincinnati, four and a half from Columbus, four from Indianapolis. That's, that's you know? not, that's not close to places, but I, I love the recruiting. Page. In my mind, it was close enough. You know? like, ah, four hours. <laughs> uh, sure. That was, that was how I convinced myself to that we could go recruit all those areas and find guys. And, but it was, uh, um, you know, it was, it was just, they had a beautiful arena and that was it. And they were coming off, 
I think they had won one conference game that year. And, and, and um, again, you know, just I think four or five winning seasons in the in the NCAA history. So it had been a hard place to win. And um, I don't know who else they were looking at, but I went up there, interviewed, uh, had probably the worst experience uh, ever. But, um, but how so? You know, how so? Oh, they, they, well, they just brought me in. And, and uh, so I, I get in and the, the AD, um, I couldn't get a hold of him on the way in. And uh, we were supposed to meet and he's like, oh, we'll go. And he finally picks up. I guess he was out gardening or something. He's like, well, go eat at this restaurant in town. There's only like one in town. So he sends me to go eat at this restaurant. I go in this restaurant, Natalia, my wife and I eat. Um, and then we're supposed to go over to the arena. I go to the arena. Uh, he shows me the nice arena takes us in the locker room ceiling tiles are missing i mean the floors the the carpet's frayed i mean you can see the concrete below it the the lockers are all rusted and metal um i go he puts me in a meeting and i'm not going to mention names but the women's coach at the time and the women's coach at the time that's who he wanted me to meet with uh he tells me he's like don't take this shit he's like whatever you can't win here you know it's impossible blah 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 goes into this whole thing about what a terrible job it is and that I should leave, and that he's going to try to leave. And to his credit, before I coached a game, he took a high school job. He left LMU as a head coach, women's coach, to take a women's high school job. So he wasn't, you know, BSing me at the time. Um, yes. And so so he tells me, don't do it. So then I got to go, and I got to check into my hotel. Well, Save you know, yourself. I, yes, exactly. Save yourself. I, so I, I go to this hotel, and this hotel has no lobby. And it's like, if you need something, knock on this door. So I have okay. to knock on this door. It's an outdoor hotel. So I knock it's a motel. on the door. It's a, it's yeah, a motel. motel. Yeah, it actually yeah. is a motel. I knock on the door and nobody answers. Knock on the door again. This guy opens the door. He's got on a, a, a wife beater and tidy whities And my wife and I, what is going on? That was the uh, hotel, the motel manager. So yes. they take us to our room. I mean, it was just like, I mean, I get up the next morning. They take me to a nice uh, breakfast at Shoney's, um, oh, yeah. and uh, and and that was the big spot in town. And so biscuit, and, biscuits and gravy, no question. Yeah, biscuits. And gravy. So I was just like, I'm, at the time, I was just so I wanted the opportunity. I took the job. What, what, what did your wife? What did your wife say? She, I'm not even being. She cried. I mean, cried. Like when I told her I was taking it, like she was devastated and really was probably cried most of the first two years we were there. I told her at the time, I said, look, I said, this will probably either I'll be able to win some games here and I'll, we'll be here for two years and I'll leave, or I won't be able to win and we'll just go back and go to Division One as an assistant or something and I'll find a job. But like, we won't be here more than two years, you know, just, and I was there 13. So, you know, it, it, it grew on us. But, uh, but yeah, at the time I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? You move. So did you buy a house? Do you rent? Can you rent a house? Like what, what was that? So like? we, we rented an apartment because uh, we couldn't afford. We had my house in High Point and I, I went from making uh, I was making 63 at High Point. They offered me 75 to stay and I took 50 to go to LMU and I negotiated to get to 50. So I took a, a pay cut and I still had my house in, uh, in, in High Point. And if you remember about 2008, that was when, you know, there, there was, you know, the, the market crashed in 2008, the recession, right? So, yeah. yeah. So this is 2008. So I have a house. My, our house got, I mean, it was, I, I couldn't even tell you, our house got, uh, there was a tree in the backyard. It got struck by lightning, fell on our roof. 
We got a flood. One of the one of the realtors flipped a switch. Thought it was a light. It was it was actually the heat. Turned off the heat in the winter. The pipes burst. Flooded the house. I mean, it was like I, I could tell you. But we 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 got an apartment, and the apartment it was so new. It had no stairs. It wasn't even finished yet. So we're living in an unfinished apartment. Like some of the drywalls up, some of it's not. Like we're we're the, like the first people in there. So yeah, needless to say, I don't know how she stayed with me on this deal. But we rented an apartment about uh, five minutes. Everything in Harrogate's five minutes. So five minutes from the school. Uh, how long did it take you to build a winner? First year we got to 500, which was, you know, I mean, where we were a, a massive jump, um, you know, more than doubled our win total. Second year, we win 20 for the first time in school history at the NCAA level. Third year, we started 22 and 0 and, and, and won the championship regular season tournament, went to the NCAA tournament. That kind of started that 10 year run where, you know, we, we had, I think we won about 88, 89% of our games over that 10 year window. Okay, so you take over a job you've never been a head coach before, and you didn't even finish your career plan. Right. Um, so when you first start uh, talking to your team, meeting, you know, in, or you're in meetings, how did you kind of like find your voice? Like, who did you did you feel like you were like Bart, or you were like one of the other coaches? Like, who? What were you like in those early stages? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I probably, I probably was an amalgam of, of each of them, you know, like, um, you know, Bart was probably like, you know, the more like fire and brimstone motivational Billerman was more like laid back and, and, um, and then, you know, and, and, and Russo was, was pretty funny. Um, I probably tried to early on, um, try to be an amalgam of all of them. Cause you're finding yourself, right? Like you got to know who you are. Right. Like to address a team, to command a room, to create buy-in, like you got to figure out who you are. And ultimately that's the key to the success is you can't be somebody else. But I probably early in my career was trying to, you know, have a little bit of humor, be a little bit of fire and brimstone and also keep the mood, the vibe a little lighter. Um, I don't know that uh, uh, how successful I was at that early but I think that's one of the, the biggest things is you got to figure out like, you know, at the end of the day, coaching is leadership and leadership, whatever you're doing, whether it's coaching or any other deal, like your number one job far and away is to get the best out of everybody that you're in charge of. Right. Like that's leadership. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, you can do it through, you know, fear. You can do it through, you know, uh, uh, really, you know, being being super demanding. Um, you can do it through connection. And I just found like for me at the end of the day, the best way I can lead is through connection is to really try to connect with my guys to really have relationship. But early on, I think I was a little bit all over the place because I didn't necessarily have myself figured out yet. How do you know if you're going to connect with a kid when you're recruiting? The hardest part. Um, I think you have to, you know, I always recruit by trying to um, at LMU, it became easy and I'll say not easy, but he here's why it became a little bit easy. Like when I look at somebody and you're recruiting them, to me, the most important aspect is their competitive character. Right. That's probably the hardest thing to gauge in somebody is truly like who they are as a competitor. And so whether that's, you know, do they care deeply about the preparation piece? Do they really care about, you know, all the things that go into preparing to play? Do they are they a great teammate? 
You know, are they coachable? Are they uh, mentally tough? Are they somebody that care about, they, they play for stats, they play to win, right? And there's a big difference in all those things. Um, at LMU, it became a little bit simpler because we wound up redshirting everybody. So we found out right away, like if, you know, you're in this small town of 4,000 people, there's, it's a dry county, so you can't even drink if you wanted to. You got to go to Knoxville to get a drink. There's no clubs, no bars. Um, there's barely any restaurants. And you're going to redshirt and likely not play for your first couple of years. It really quickly eliminated a lot of people that, you know, if you came to LMU, you were about the right things, right? Like for us, you were about the basketball, you were about work, you were about trying to be the best player you can be. You were about winning. You wanted to be in a winning culture. You wanted the relational piece. Like you wanted all these things that we could give you. And you were okay with the patience. And, and just a red shirt shows a level of humility that a lot of people don't have. You know, so to me, it was it got a little easier as we built that program to be able to to discern who exactly fit and who exactly didn't. But I think the best way is to be completely transparent. I think people recruit two ways. People recruit to get the kid. Some people recruit to make it work. Does that make sense? Like, you know, if you recruit to get the kid, you're going to sell the kid. You're selling, you're selling, you're selling. And then, you know, and then try to figure it out and they get there. If you're recruiting to make it work, then you're actually going to be transparent up front and honest on the front end because I felt like at LMU and I feel like at Indiana State, the only pathway to sustainable success is continuity. If I'm having to re-engineer uh, my roster every year the way we play, we're not going to be very good. So I, I, I began, I probably early on, I recruited – to get the kid, I would just, hey, what do I got to do to get this kid? Okay, we're going to, you know, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, do this. I eventually figured out that you got to recruit to make it work. And you got to recruit to, that it's got to be the right fit both ways. And if it's not, you're going to be in this constant state of churning it over year after year after year. And then our pathway at LMU and our pathway at Indiana State, quite frankly, is, is through continuity. And the only way to sustainability is because we can't, even here, you know, we can't go out and recruit a bunch of power five transfers and bring them in and reload every year. Our pathway is getting guys, uh, you know, we call it corporate knowledge, building corporate knowledge, how we play, how we do things. Guys in this system get better year over year over year. If, if we pour into them for a year and then we lose them every year, you know, we're going to be starting at ground zero every single year. You can't, and the way we do things, I don't think that's a model we could, we could have. So, that would probably be to me the biggest thing is recruit to make it work, not recruit to get the kid and be as transparent and as open as possible about what it's going to be like. And you got to be willing to lose some guys because of that. You know, you got to be willing to. Absolutely. You know. Would you rather lose them in the recruiting process or lose them in the middle of the season when they, you know, I mean, right. or, or, right. you know, like, right. I mean, like to me, if, you know, you were going to lose that guy anyway. And sure. I, I tell my staff all the time, like, you're never going to get fired for missing out on good players ever. What gets you fired is taking bad players or bad fits, right? Like you're never going to get axed for, man, I missed on so-and-so. I missed on so-and-so. We didn't get this kid. You're going to get fired because you took either guys who didn't fit, wrong players, those things. And when you look at it that way, you don't worry as much about losing guys because that's not really what's going to ultimately 
you know, you know, move your fate either way. It's about the guys you take much more than the guys you lose. Year three, you're 22 and 0. Why not leave that year? You know, I, there was there was opportunities. The thing that LMU did <clears throat> over my time was they they really made the job better. Uh, our chairman of the board at LMU, Pete DeBusk, um, you know, he became like a over the years a father figure to me. Um, and they made that job to where um, if I was going to leave, it was going to be really hard for me to leave. Um, and and it wasn't a one year deal. But they every year came back and, and built it and said, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And so a job that started <clears throat> where my base salary was $50,000 finished where my base salary was $250,000. And we had one assistant, a GA, and all of a sudden we had three full-time assistants and two GAs. And our budget, which was the lowest in the league, became the highest in the country. And we built a nutrition room and a film room. And, and, and they put all these things in. And, you know, So we had the best resources, best job. And I had a... What equated to a lifetime contract I had a five-year rollover that at the end of the year uh, they could fire me and pay me a million dollars, or they could roll me over for five more years. When did you? When did you? When did you buy a house? Uh, after year three. <laughs> after year three, when I when when we had that success, and I was like, let's get out of this apartment, um, and we moved into a house, and it was just the 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 right time, and and you know it was uh, it, it turned into you know. Uh, for me, a, a dream job at that level, I felt like, uh, you know, it was kind of like, a, you know, Camelot Utopia. I had, I had a great president, great AD, uh, chair of the board, completely invested. And I've never been somebody who, you know, I didn't feel like, oh, man, I got to go division one to, to, to make something happen, I, you know, or I got to validate myself at this level. Um, you know, like we're talking like I'm, I mean, we're coaching against great coaches in that league, you know, Bart's in there, you got a bunch of really good coaches inside of. Uh, the South Atlantic Conference and Ben McCullum and all these guys you're going against uh, uh, Jim Crutchfield. I mean, there's great coaches, and I felt I felt completely fulfilled there over over that that tenure. And they just kept making the job better and better and better every single year. So while I had some Division One head coaching opportunities, um, I never felt like it was the right one for me to leave. There was one, uh, you know, I, I was a Division One head coach for one day, but then the chancellor came in the next day and. Uh, changed his mind and, and overturned the committee and the AD and they hired somebody else. And, and so I was, that was after the 2018, uh, 17 season after 17. Where, where was that? Uh, I, I guess I could say it now. It was uh, Arkansas Little Rock. Uh, Chase Conk, who had hired Chris Beard from Division Two. Uh, Chase had hired a, a, um, a Chris they had success, left. They hired the associate coach there two years. They moved on from him, and uh, Chase brought me into Little Rock, and it just I really clicked with him, connected with him, um, interviewed with him in the committee, um, got hired, and then the, the chancellor who I'd met with uh, came back and said that they were going to go a, a different route. So that was that. That's crazy. Uh, the COVID year was your best mm -hmm. team, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, with 32 in a row, 
when COVID hit, we had won 32 straight. So yeah, it was a pretty good team. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Where were you? Where were you when when everything hit? So we we uh, we had beat Queens in the tournament championship uh, on that Sunday in front of a packed house at Furman, which is where we did our tournament. Um, you know, and Monday, Tuesday, like there, there was it was crazy because that Sunday, I mean, nobody's even talking about COVID. And we're in a packed house at Furman, playing for a conference championship. Well, Monday, Tuesday, we give the guys off. We come back Wednesday, Wednesday. Uh, we start hearing about that, you know, they may uh, that they, they put out something that they were going to uh, uh, restrict attendance at the games, you know, because of COVID. I was like, that's weird because, you know, but you didn't really know. Well, Wednesday night, uh, I'm at dinner um, with uh, with my wife and, and kids. And I think that was that Wednesday night was when uh, Go Bear and all that stuff. happened. Yes. And they came to the game. Yes. And I, I remember sitting there with my wife. I said, I said, we're not going to play. They're going to, they're going to, I didn't think they would cancel them. I thought they would postpone it, but I didn't know what they would do. So Thursday morning, we're on these calls and they're like, no, we're going to proceed right now. We're proceeding. I was like, are we 100%, you know, at the moment? And everything seemed like it was a go. So I met with the guys in the locker room. I'm on the practice floor. We're practicing. On Thursday, we play Saturday in the first round. You know, we're, we're uh, you know, 32 wins in a row, number one seed in the NCAA tournament, playing at home. And uh, my associate AD comes out, and uh, we're, he's like, like, I can see a motion in me, so I kind of slide over to the sideline. He's like, uh, they canceled the NCAA tournament. I was like, they postponed it? To when? And he's like, no, they, they canceled it. And I looked at him like, you and I, I couldn't even like, be, I mean, believe it. And I had to, I stopped practice and I brought the guys in and he's like, he's like, I'm like, is the season over? He's like, it's over. Like, they're not going to replay it. It's done. And I just like, I mean, like to about like taking the breath out of you. And I, I brought the team in and I, I, we had, you know, four seniors on that team and guys that have been close. I mean, we'd been to multiple final fours, you know, with this group and had a group that, like I said, you know, 32 straight wins. And, um, you know, guys were just really emotional. I mean, everybody was started crying. Um, I taught the team 
I went in my office and I cried for about 10 minutes. I really did. And uh, so I was just so sad for everybody involved. Um, and then I went back to the locker room and I was like, we're going to go out tonight and, uh, you know, celebrate, you know, before this all. Um, and, and so that Thursday night we went out and, and I brought the whole staff and athletic department staff and I don't know what we spent, but it was a lot of money, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we just had a great night together. And then the next day, I had to do individual meetings and the campus by noon was gone. It was, it was, uh, uh, you ghost, know, really desolate. Ghost town. What goes town by noon Friday. What was life like in small town, Tennessee during COVID? Uh, well, Tennessee was always trying to be open before everybody else. So, sure. you know, there was, you know, um, but it, it wasn't, you know, it was a weird time. Like there was, there was, you know, my wife and I would go and we would walk the campus. The campus is beautiful. Lincoln Moore's campus, one of the most scenic campuses in the country. There's all these rolling hills and uh, it's just an amazing place. We'd go on these uh, four mile walks every day, she and I, um, you know, everything was, was shut down. Um, so we just, you know, going and, 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 and grocery shopping, but it was almost like you go from this pressure cooker and then it was, it was just like, I mean, it was just incredible. Um, and, and you just, um, you know, you're really not going to work. You're staying at home. Um, I got to zoom with some really good people. I mean, you were, it was almost like a, it was like a sabbatical in the middle of a, you know, I, I mean, it's almost surreal even to talk about. It was like a sabbatical. No, it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously, you know, like, look, you guys had a chance to win a national championship and there's so many things I mean, San Diego State, that they had an incredible team. Um, my brother, uh, my brother's, well, used to, was at Grand, Grand Canyon last three, and he was at Drury College, and they were, they were the best D2 mm -hmm. team, the women's team, right? They didn't get a chance. Yes. Uh, Molly didn't get a chance to, to compete there. But, like, you got a chance to be a dad, right? Mm -hmm. A husband. Yeah. You get to be home. Yes. Like there was a, there was, I, I, I kind of wish there was like two weeks every year we could do that. I right? just, like just two weeks. I do too. It, it was, I, I agree. Cause I, I know you're the same way. Like our lives are so regimented, you know, we're up early, we're going here, we got this, there's just a to-do list. You're knocking it out. you got all these things, irons in the fire. And then it was like nothing. And it was like, Oh my God, like this is actually like, it, it was, I, I, I mean, it was, um, it was a terrible, terrible time. But in terms of like re-energizing or getting to really yeah. get down to what's important, like the amount of family time you spend, the amount of time you spend with your wife, getting up in the day and be like, hey, what do you want? We're going to go for a walk. You know, we're going to have some meals together. You know, who's going to cook what? Um, you know, watch some TV. I remember when uh, um, The Last Dance came out. That was Every, like, 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 like literally everybody watched. It was like, oh, my God, give me, give me, give me more. Give uh, I got to wait till next week. Me, yeah. You know what it reminded me of? So this is. Uh, when I, the last dance thing reminded me when I was in Russia playing, um, my wife at the time and I, we, we would get a cassette tape with survivor. Remember when survivor first mm -hmm. came out, right? Since 2000 yeah, uh -huh, I and, uh, we would try and only watch it, like watch one a week. We try and like, we're only going to watch one a week. This just, and I remember just like, oh man, you sure we don't want to watch the second one? You sure? Like now, last yeah. dance, you didn't have a chance to watch the second one, but still, right. it was the same idea of just give me, oh, I love it. It tastes so good. I just need more. Yeah. Give me more. Give yes. me more. Because yeah, you had nothing. 
you had nothing new. I mean, nobody was, it, it was like, it was like every best game seven, like you literally built your day around last dance coming yeah. on. Like, Oh, what are we going to, you know, yes. let's finish dinner here. Do this. We can be at the TV. And it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And like I said, it seems like a, just a, a whole, you know, it, it seems like it was so long ago, but it really, you know, obviously it wasn't. And, uh, you know, Tennessee opened up pretty quickly, but that was a great time uh, from a standpoint of, you know, being able to just reconnect and 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 really get back to like the things that are most important in your life. And like you said, it'd be cool to have a, a two week where, hey, everything shuts down. There's nothing. And just you lock in and because it really does. It does give you life. Uh, what was that next year like for you? Yeah, I had one more year at Lincoln. So I had one more year. My last year at Lincoln was was 2021. Did you guys have crowds um, that year? Uh, very limited, very limited crowds. You know, you sat like spread out in the baseline. We had, you know, games canceled. We had, you know, it was it was like everybody. I mean, you'd be playing, you know, you, and, and it just shows how funny it is. Like as coaches, you know, we're scouting, we're watching you know, all these hours of film and going over this opponent. You'd be playing, hey, we're going to play uh so-and-so oh wait they can't play all right let's play this team you want to play this team today like no scout you know like you're just you're just drawing stuff out of a hat you know like you'd play teams that you didn't even know you were playing team would cancel you'd call somebody be like hey you know do you want to play today at seven or tomorrow oh yeah we'll play you know and, and all right let's do this and so we we kind of hodgepodge a season together we got um you know we we had we had a couple shutdowns um and then we had one at the, you know, our campus had an outbreak towards the end of our season. And we got, uh, we had a, uh, you know, epidemiologist running our COVID team at, at, at LMU. And, you know, we had exposures. And so he shut us down with exposures. Um, it became a whole thing. Uh, you know, we wound up not being able to play our last two regular season games. And then, uh, you know, our, our commissioner at the conference, uh, who's, you know, whatever, try to be nice on the podcast, but yeah, the, the, the South Atlantic conference commissioner is not the brightest guy in the world. Uh, they, they knock us out of the tournament. So, because they said we, you know, our, our clock started whenever. And so we wind up, even though we didn't have a positive, we had a shutdown because of the exposures. They shut down like 10 teams on our campus at the same time. Um, so we wind up going into the NCAA tournament the next year. We haven't played in 26 days. <laughs> We haven't played a game in and we're playing in the NCAA tournament in the first round. And, and so we, we win, we win uh, our region, go to the elite eight, win the elite eight game. And then we lose on a tip out. Uh, we're up two with seven seconds left ball out of bounds. Uh, they miss ball gets batted. And uh, Zach Toussaint from about 30 feet, uh, maybe a little longer, uh, knocks it in over Devin Whitfield at the buzzer to lose by one of the watch are playing in the national championship game. And, um, you know, all that stuff about me coming to Nas State had come out already. And it was just a, that was just a devastating, you know, that, that was because of the circumstances was worse than national championship loss or any other loss, just, you know, because everybody knew I was, it was just such a devastating way for it to end. It would have been poetic to have in the national championship because at that point, you know, it's over one way or the other. It's the last game on the deal. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that group to get within a, a millisecond of the national championship just shows, you know, I mean, to come off a 25, 26 day break and play in the NCAA tournament, you're playing for your life. Like it was incredible. It doesn't, I mean, you know, it, it just stuff you would never think of. 
Um, okay, so how did the Indiana State job come to be? So the the week um, that we were supposed to be in the conference tournament, um, we weren't. Uh, so we were practicing, and um, you know that's all we could do. And I get a um, I got an, a, an email from a search firm guy, just you know, hey, you know, there's a Missouri Valley school that's you know probably going to open. Would you be interested? And um, you know, I sent it to my agent. I didn't know you know at what school it was or anything, and so I just forwarded on and. Uh, the, the, he wound up coming back and saying that, you know, it was Indiana state. And I talked to the, the search firm guy, but they weren't at the time, hundred percent sure what was going to happen. So we just had a conversation and, you know, kind of, he spent an hour just trying to get to know me and whatever. Well, um, Indiana state, uh, was playing in their conference tournament. They lost on a Saturday. Um, and I interviewed, uh, with them on Sunday. Uh, that next day after when they had decided to make the change. Um, and, uh, and then I wound up, uh, you know, on that Tuesday, um, you know, going in and signing a, a, an MOU up in, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. And I met them, you know, there, it was just, uh, but you know, it's funny. I got, I got about 10 minutes from the hotel to go meet with them to sign the contract. And, you know, I, I, I was driving up there with my wife and I looked at her and I was like, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to, to Indiana State. And she was like, all right, let's go home. So we literally exited off the interstate and started driving back to Harrogate. And I called my old AD uh, who was with me at LMU, who wasn't there at the time. And I was like, the one, am I the, making the wrong decision? The one who was gardening or the next one? No, the, the, the gardening one retired. He was, he was a good dude as well, but um, he, was, he retired after uh, it was the guy who replaced the gardening guy. Um, and so, and so I'm driving back and I call, I call Matt Green. I'm like, uh, I said, Matt, I said, I'm, you know, I'm turning the job down. I'm driving home. Uh, you know, and I just was like, it doesn't feel right. You know, I think I'm going to stay at LMU. And he talked to me for about 15 or 20 minutes as I was driving home about why it was the right thing for me to do. If he had said, Hey, no, I agree. You should, but he didn't. And, um, and so I spent about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes talking to him. And then he convinced me to take it. So then I had to turn back around and I had, I sent, uh, Indiana state a text just saying, Hey, I'm running late. And, uh, so I, I got there a little, a little later and, and, um, you know, it was a combination of things at the end of the day. Um, you know, LMU, I, I had a new president, new AD, um, and, uh, the president and I, you know, weren't great. I thought the, you know, uh, the, the, the commissioner of the league was, you know, like I said, you know, that whole thing with the COVID deal had run me the wrong way. Um, the, the president wasn't, an, he wasn't a bad guy at all. He was not an athletic guy and, and, and we had a new AD. So it just felt like if I was going to do something, it was the right time to do it. And then the chance to be in the Missouri Valley to me from D2 was a jump that a lot of people don't get to make. You know, the normal jump is, you know, you go D2 to a low major, low major, you do well, you go to the Missouri Valley. And then, you know, and so I was going to skip some steps and I knew how good a league the Valley was in terms of the competition, the coaches, like at the time, I mean, you know, you had Porter Mosier, you had Ben Jacobson, Darren DeBreeze, Brian Ward. I mean, I knew all those coaches and how good they were. And it was like, man, like how, you know, like, that would be just an amazing challenge at a place that in Indiana state, a lot like LMU people said it was impossible to win at, you know, when I talked to people, they said, Oh, you know, you know, you can't win at a high level there. You know, it's not, you know, and, and, you know, so that was kind of the deal, but I knew that, you know, 
um, you know, Greg and his staff that, you know, I, I was replacing and had done a good job and they, they, they'd certainly won some. And, uh, so I didn't, I didn't look at it as bleak as other people did, but that was kind of the, the, the caveat of coming was the opportunity to compete against, you know, these coaches in, in, an, in an unbelievable league and one of the best mid-major leagues in the country, you know, bypass some steps, really challenge myself. And then Sherard, who was my athletic director here, you know, the thing I told him, I said, it had to be a work environment like the one I was in where I was empowered and supported every single day. And he, you know, was, he said, absolutely, you know, we'll, we'll give you the freedom to do it the way you want to do it. We won't micromanage and, and um, you know, it'll, it'll work or it won't, but, but you don't have to worry about that. And so um, once we kind of came on all those terms, it, it just seemed like the right move, even though, you know, it wasn't really a, a bump pay-wise. It was a small bump, but not, you know, not really. Right. Um, he did that, so, that lifetime deal. It wasn't about money. It was about, about No, about it was people. not about money. It was about the chance to pursue growth and challenge myself and see if I could do it at this level. Basically, I was leaving something I was incredibly comfortable with. I have a natural aversion to change. Like, that's just how I'm wired. Um, I get very comfortable. I like, you know, and, and I poured myself into that place. We had an amazing culture, a championship DNA. Um, you know, we had just come up short of, of the national championship on a buzzer beater. We had great teams coming on the pipe. I mean, since I've been gone um, the previous two years, my assistant is the head coach. I think he was 58 and 10 his first two years and won back-to-back regular season championships. And they're in position to do it again this year for a third straight year with a lot of guys. And that's with most of our better players coming to Indiana state. So, um, you know, that's with the, the guys who were scout team guys when I was there. So um, it was, instead of be successful, it was just the challenge and the opportunity uh, that, that was presented here to, to do it at this level. What is that like to uh, bring your guys up a level, but also there's some guys that you can't bring up a level. Mm-hmm. What's that process yeah, like? Uh, Oh, it's hard. I mean, it's tough. Uh, you you, you want to, you know, I, I probably in hindsight, you know, like I probably undervalued uh, the cultural piece. I could have maybe, you know, probably could have probably brought a couple more with me, but I also didn't want to leave LMU depleted either. Sure. It was kind of a feel, you know, I didn't, I, I love that place. I love it. Lincoln Memorial. We had guys that, I mean, my hope originally was they were all going to come back, but a couple guys were like, we're transferring to division one. Now, if you don't want us, we'll go somewhere else. But, you know, so I was like, all right, I got to, you know, two of our all-league players last year, we won 23 games where, you know, LMU guys, Kavassier McCauley and Cam Henry, our two all-conference players were LMU guys um, in the Missouri Valley. So, um, you know, it, it was it was it was tough conversations with players because more people wanted to come than we could take. Like I said, hindsight being 2020, I probably would have taken more because I think the, the, the hardest part when you take a new job is – you know, that you can't transpose culture and that, you know, you have to start from scratch. And the more guys you have that understand you and understand what winning looks like and understand the way you operate, um, the better. Because, you know, that that year was funky in recruiting anyway. If you remember, like when I got the job, uh, I couldn't go recruiting. Right, you had to Zoom. And nobody to campus. Yeah. yeah, nobody come to campus. And it was remote. Everything was, we were doing FaceTime, driving in golf carts stuff i mean zooms and facetime that's how we recruited and so most of the people that i recruited because i took over a team in april that had two players on the roster so most of the people that i recruited i never met until they came to summer school i had never even had an in-person or seen them play live like i just saw everything was on film so it was the the most awkward thing and and you know in terms of 
uh, uh, I mean, just like you don't, you know, the whole recruiting process that I value was completely opposite uh, of, of what I, I'm, I'm used to. And so these people, there was, there was a number, more than a handful, was first time meeting them in person was coming to summer school. And first time seeing them play was our first practice. When did you know this group was going to be different? This group was going to be special. Uh, felt it in the in the summer. Uh, just the vibe you can get. I mean, you know, uh, when you're recruiting, you know, you you have hopes for what your team could be, how the pieces will fit. Um, but I would say there's two types of forecasters, right? Those that don't know, and those that don't know, they don't know. So you hope you have an opinion, um, but you're not, you know. You, you know, and then watching them play, uh, the, the, the portal is the harder one because you, you know, you, you feel like you can get the tangible things right, but it's the cultural one that's harder because it's like speed dating. You know, sure. you go from this process of high school guys, and now you got this short runway with transfers to figure out, you know, does it fit? But, you know, with, like I said, the, the intangible piece is the harder part. But when they got here in the summer, I felt like we knocked it out the park with the transfers in terms of okay, yeah, they're good, but they also fit us culturally. We got that part right. And we knew we were, it was a weird time because we lost 83% of our scoring from last year. We only had four scholarship guys back on the whole team because we had six, we had six, or I guess five scholarship guys back. We had six seniors that were true COVID seniors that had exhausted the COVID year. And then we had two guys who didn't play much who transferred. So we had eight new scholarship players, four high school four transfers. And it was like, you know, we had a, our three leading scorers all graduated, you know, Cavassier and Cooper Nice and Cam Henry. So, and five of our top eight. So it was like, but, but uh, you could tell early on, you know, Isaiah Swope and Ryan Conwell and, and, and those guys fit. And, and then the guys who were returning, the Robbie Avilas, the Julian Larry, the Jason Kents, you know, their growth in the system was going to be significant. And, you know, um, and, and, and so I could see in the summer that if we could stay healthy, uh, the guys liked each other. We got the culture piece right. Uh, there was good chemistry. Uh, the pieces fit together on the court well. They amplified each other versus got in each other's way, uh, which was nice. And we had talent, but it was talent that complement each other. How do you build that relationship piece when you have guys coming in and out of the portal? Yeah, I think um, you, you have to be really committed to it. Um, it's something that uh, I, I think when you're – you know, people, you know, I, I have, you know, whatever, a, a number of assistants that are head coaches now at the Division Two level. And, you know, we'd always talk about, you know, in the transition, what are the biggest things, you know, in, 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 in being a head coach? And I would always tell them, number one, and if you get number one wrong, the rest will be irrelevant, but is evaluation, right? You got to be able to evaluate talent. If you recruit bad players, everything else is, is irrelevant. You got to get the right talent. And, and, and the right type of people. Um, and then the second piece to me is you got to be able to build relationships with guys. And it's so much a coaching well beyond X's and O's is those one-on-one -on -one conversations, those group conversations, commanding a room, um, you know, guys' psyche, the mentality of your team. Like that to me is so much more important than the X's and O's, you know, in terms of being successful as a head coach is your ability to have relationships with guys that can withstand the burden of truth, sure. right? That you can be honest with people and it doesn't, you know, they, they don't get offended or insulted because they know that, that there's a genuine relationship there. And so you just got to be really intentional about it. And you got to be in recruiting really intentional about 
hey, look, this is what we're about. And if you want this, this is not your place. Like, hey, in our system, you know, the five is the hub. If you want the ball in your hands all the time, probably not going to be what you want. You know, we're never going to pay a guy in, in NIL more than our returning, our better returning players. So if you want that, you know, I mean, there's certain things that are, you know, through lines that, that man, you know, it's not going to be, you know, this if you want to come here. But I think you have that transparency. And then you have the intent day to day of like, all right, this is who we're going to be. So that's your rule. You, you know, you're not going to play, pay anybody more than a, a returner. Yeah. If, 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 if we have a returner that like are, are better returners to me, that's the best, you know, the ability to, to bring guys back that corporate knowledge is far greater than going out and getting a new guy. Now, if we got a guy like Isaiah Swope or Ryan Conwell, like, we knew, you know, our market was going to be set by Robbie Avila. And we weren't going to pay in an NIL somebody incoming more than we're going to pay our best returning player. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you That's I'll, just, I'll, I'll give you a stat that, that will help you in the future. In the NFL, hmm. the NFL, the hit rate on free agents in the NFL, where they have all this tape mm-hmm. and they have, you know, they just have your college tape, whatever, is like 33%. Whereas in the, in the draft, in the first round, it's actually in the between 55 and 60% in terms of, of hit rate. I think right. Great point. Right. Great so point. Th- it's, it's, you know, right. It's like what you said, evaluate and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, build on what you okay. have, but build on, uh, build on what I, you have. Cause the, the grass is, I agree. Well, that's the thing. People look, if you're, if you're selling NIL to people, you're asking people to donate to NIL. It's a hell of a lot easier to say, look, you saw this guy, you know how good he is. This is what it's going to cost, you know, we think to, to retain. And that's kind of the way it is now. You got to build your collective. You know, everyone wants to know what's it going to, you know, how do we keep the team together? And, and but I think, you know, guys will stay if there's a relationship, if they feel like the system, you know, you're, they're, they're getting to do what they do and do what they do best all the time. But you're right. I mean, the the free agent piece is so overvalued of going out and, you know, getting this guy, getting this guy, getting this guy, and and thinking that all your problems are going to be solved right. uh, in the portal because everybody says this. They say, "Well, just get old and stay old," right. and I get that. To me, where people miss the boat is, what about getting old together? Yes. What about shared experiences? Yeah. What about you know? What about those things when you go through things together with guys that give you like your team at Oklahoma State, like your shared experiences? Right over many years I, i'll give you i'll give you an example okay so one we went through that loss to you right um fast forward a year and a half later we're in the ncaa tournament we're in the sweet 16 we're playing seton hall and we mm-hmm. had a set called cyclone we'd run in our first two years mm-hmm. we never practiced it didn't put it in at all and the way mm-hmm. they were guarding our ball screen ball screens were playing against uh uh tommy amaker and seton hall in syracuse and I turned, I, I turned to Brian Montanati, who's now a coach at Owasso High School in, in outside of Tulsa. And I was like, hey, we should run Cyclone. Like, all right, let's do it. So we're like, we're, we just called it. And then we come over to the bench and Sean Sutton, started, again, like offensive coach, like, y'all running Cyclone? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? Just like, we all knew it and it all worked. And we'd all kind of been yeah. through it. Like, But by the way, that's also, that's the whole college experience, which we're, I, I, I do think we're, we're diminishing. All right, la- la- last thing, because I know you're busy. You got to go. You guys have been zooming along. You get mm-hmm. ranked, and then mm-hmm. you lose. What's the challenge like from, like you said, 
yes, you've been building towards this, but this is a new team. And yep. whatever your own internal in, uh, uh, thoughts were on how good they could be, you kind of got everybody's attention nationally. But now you lose. Mm -hmm. So all that other work you had done gets called into question. What's it like now to try and get them back on track? Well, it goes back to that that number one thing of, you know, um, relationships and psyche. I think when something like this happens, um, losing losing happens, right? I mean, you're in a highly competitive deal. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Um, losing the way we did shouldn't happen in terms of not being ready to compete, um, not playing together, right? And I told the guys this, um, look, when you hit adversity, uh, and, and and it's one loss, but it's adversity because it's February 15th and all that. Um, it can be an albatross and, 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 and completely break you down and bring you down because you disconnect, you go your separate ways and that becomes, you know, the, 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 what, what, what splintered you, or, you know, it can be a springboard, right? We just won nine in a row. We weren't playing great the last few games, but we were winning because we were fighting and competing and we were getting a, honestly a little bit of luck in there too. Right. You know, what three spins out of play goes in. So, you know, I told them going in, you know, uh, we're playing with fire and, and we got burned on, on Tuesday night. Um, it can be a springboard if it reminds us how much we need each other. It can be a springboard if it gets us back to being fully locked in and attentive to the details of the game. Uh, it can be a springboard if it eliminates any kind of complacency or entitlement about, you know, what we deserve, what we're owed, because, you, you, you know, entitled teams win nothing. Um, and, and understanding that every single time you step, uh, you know, games are decided in between the four lines on the wood. It doesn't matter what you're ranked or what social media says or what somebody projects you like. It's decided on the wood in between those four lines. And when you get out there, nothing can save you. Like it's in the arena out there, you're putting yourself out there and you got to be ready to meet those challenges. And the last piece is, you know, yes, the ranking and, and, the, and the exposure and the expectations. But I'll say this, like if you can't handle expectations and performing under pressure and those things, then you're not designed to be a champion anyway. You're not designed to be elite in anything you do, because if you're elite, part of being elite is you got to deal with expectations and pressure and people, you know, saying this judgment, all those things. Um, if you, if you can't handle those things and perform, you're not designed to be elite. And it's a reminder that we talk a lot about there are cultures, there are winning cultures and cultures where you can win. And I think they're very different. If you're in a culture, a winning culture, you're a weather vane for results, right? Like, you know, Hey, we won, everybody's fired up. We lost. We're practicing at 5. AM you know, we're, we're pissed. Uh, we won. There's music playing. Guys are all dapped. They're up. You lose. The whole vibe changes, right? In a culture where you can win, you have processes and standards and principles and values in place that allow you to weather storms, allow you to handle success, and allow you to respond appropriately and move on. So we'll see. The goal is to build a culture where you can win. I think we've done that here. But like I tell them, you know, don't, don't, don't tell me, show me. So we'll see tomorrow night in Carbondale and how we respond. I love our locker room. I love the character of the guys in there. I have all the confidence in the world that, that, that you know, we're going to respond the right way, but, you know, show me, don't tell me. And, and let's see if we really have a culture where you can win in those processes and standards. And we, 
kind of got checked and now we're able to, to reconnect back to who we are and, and we remember how much we need each other and uh and 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 the competitiveness you got to earn that thing every night don't worry about rankings pressure expectations lock into your preparation lock into playing to a standard and, and block all that out and lean into each other lean into the team pour into one another awesome well i can't wait to see you guys take the floor against the salukis tomorrow night i really appreciate and value your time and let's catch up again before the ncaa tournament and see how they responded i appreciate that doug thanks so much for having me on All right, that's it for this edition of All Ball. Remember, you can check out my daily radio show and podcast. Just type in Doug Gottlieb wherever you got this podcast. You can check it out, download it, or listen to the radio show. That's uh, 3 to 5 Eastern Time, 12 to Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen.